welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical podcast. You've probably wondered why you haven't heard from us on the Paul Maurice hiring yet. Well, my co-host Tommy's on vacation. We will get to him uh, at around and after the draft where he will have opinions on Paul Maurice. He's got plenty, I think, if you follow the Twitter account, you've noticed that. But in the interim, let's talk with somebody who knows a lot more about Paul Maurice than we do. And uh, that would be Murray Ates of The Athletic, who covers the Jets. Uh, he knows quite a bit about Paul Maurice and happy to have him here. Murad, how are you doing? Hey, Matt. I am doing well. I'm happy to be here. It's my first time, so this is exciting. Um, thanks for having me on. It's not that exciting a podcast. I have to be honest with you. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. We like doing this. I enjoy doing it. That's why we keep doing it. But uh, it's, not the, it's not like you're going on with, I don't know, insert somebody who's more famous than us here. But um, today you are Wayne Gretzky. You are you are Elliot Friedman. You're Pierre Lebrun. Uh, no, I have no idea. But I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited. I'll, to I'll be take here. Jeff Merrick. I'll take my friend Jeff Merrick, who I could text about oh, this Jeff's right great. now. If yeah, I absolutely, I could do that right now. I'll bother him later. Um, <laughs> I want to start with this, uh, with this discussion. Uh, it seemed to end pretty acrimoniously for Paul Maurice in Winnipeg, and when that happened, I think a bunch of people thought that we're not going to see him coaching for a while. And yet here we are six, seven months later, and he's got another job. Are you surprised he got a job so quickly? Well, I'm not surprised that he got a job so quickly, uh, given that he seems to be interested in a job. The idea of Paul Maurice being on the coaching free agent market for an extended period of time and him not getting offers or him not being able to convince uh, a front office that he would be the guy for the job I didn't think that that was necessarily going to happen. He's held in high regard by a lot of people around the NHL. You know, I, I don't think you'll you'll see him in, you know, top three, top five kinds of lists around the league. But, you know, definitely in the top 15 kind of era, he's one of those guys that's been around for a while who's really well-spoken. And I, I think a lot of folks believe in, in him as a coach. So that that part makes sense to me. Uh, and I guess the the big question on our minds in Winnipeg were, you know, why, why did he leave? Why did he step down from the Winnipeg Jets last December? Why did he do it, you know, when he did it, as opposed to, say, the previous offseason? And in Winnipeg, the results of, of that were his assistant coach, Dave Lowry, who Florida Panthers fans would know well from his time with the club. Um, you know, he stepped up and wasn't able to have even the level of success that Maurice was having, and Winnipeg ended up missing the playoffs. So it was certainly not the ideal season in Winnipeg, you know, whether the factors that led to Paul Murray stepping down were the same that ended up sinking the team or whether his stepping down contributed to that as well, because I don't think too many people were prepared for that when it happened, you know, that, that part's up for debate. I was listening to a couple podcasts he did. He did one with uh, Bob McCallan and John Shannon, which is, is something you should listen to if you haven't yet. There's a lot of insight into Maurice's perspective on what happened as much as he can give. And he also was on with Ferraro and Dreger at one point. And I, he said that he stopped feeling like the right head coach for the Jets somewhere between the bubble and 2021. Now, I don't know about the internal politics of the Jets. The only thing I know is that they will hold on to you for a while. They're very loyal. Uh, but beyond that, I want to get into what happened at the end because it seems that there are maybe Jets-specific things that we need to take into our analysis of this decision that are not going to be present in Florida because they're very different situations. So I'll start with I'll start with that because it seems that the dressing room in Winnipeg was acrimonious, I think is the best way to put it from the outside. But 
I don't know how much that played into the results and the style of hockey sliding as it did from the peak and when they made the Western Conference Finals to eventually now. Uh, but can you give us a little insight on that? Because that dressing room politics stuff I, is probably not going to be a factor in Florida. And I think people are wondering just how much of a factor it was and how the hockey ended up being played. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Matt. And I'll do my best to sort my thoughts into things that I feel pretty confident in saying I know, things that I think, and then maybe things that I'm not sure uh, of. I will but... interrupt you for a second, and I'm going to quote my good friends at Split Zone to a college football podcast. And they go, I think I feel I know. So you can go with that. <laughs> I think I feel I know. I uh, like that. <laughs> greatness borrows genius steals. <laughs> I love it. Um well, let's start, let's start with the very, very end of Winnipeg's season. So as you know, the Winnipeg Jets missed the playoffs under mostly Dave Lowry, but also partly Paul Maurice at the beginning of the season. At Winnipeg's exit interviews with the media, there were so many different versions of what went wrong. But one of the common themes was this idea that the team didn't play for each other. Uh, you had a lot of people, stars like Kyle Connor, saying we didn't play the right way. We never figured out how to, you know, play the right way for each other. We didn't play the full team game. Captain Blake Wheeler said, you know, I think we have some forwards who play uh, more about offense than a 200-foot game. And Paul Stastny, the longtime NHL veteran, said, you know, it's a matter of respect. He also said that it seems as though um, that players on Winnipeg were focused more on offensive production than, than doing things that necessarily helped the team win. And he, once again, like I say, he, he called out without naming anybody kind of the sense of a, of a lack of respect for one another players for players within the Winnipeg jets room. And the idea to me, Matt, that, that this made it to media as bluntly as Paul Stastny put it at the end of season exit interviews means that what we get, as I always believe, is the tip of the iceberg. I believe then that Stastny and others uh, were frustrated tremendously and what conflicts would have happened in the room that would, or, or voices uh, or feelings voiced in the room that came well before them telling us what they told us, I think would be a lot more significant. So that's one key point. Um, and, and I believe that if you watch the Winnipeg Jets play last season, there were players and Paul Stastny didn't name names, but I'll name a couple that seemed to be pulling on a different rope than everybody else. And one of those was Mark Shifley, who is a phenomenal all world offensive player. Um, really offensively, I have him in the top five to 10 centers in the National Hockey League. But defensively, he was disengaged. He was checked out. He was playing above the puck in the defensive zone, above his man in the defensive zone consistently. There were some non-existent back checks. There were moments where he, were, he was a few feet away from guys who went on to score. They were his man. He did, he did not have a strong defensive season. And from a lot of, you know, if you get into the metrics, it's one of the all-time worst defensive seasons by uh, a star center. So that definitely worked against the Winnipeg Jets as well. Right before Paul Maurice stepped down, the article I wrote the day before he stepped down was Winnipeg needs to get more out of Mark Shifley to justify his role as a top line center um, or else they need to find a coach who can. And that brings it back to Paul Maurice and the thought of how that might affect Florida because the theory as it goes, I think I feel I know, I think I feel that 
There's a sense in Winnipeg that Paul Maurice gave Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler an awful lot of rope over the last several years, that these two were, for a lot of years, the best players, you know, 2017, 18, uh, even before that a little bit, you could point to them as the number one and two guys, um, Shifley eventually supplanted Wheeler, but these were the guys that really ran things on the ice, they were the stars, uh, and I think that they got a lot of rope in terms of their impact on the dressing room as well. You wouldn't tend to see their minutes clawed back, even if they were having bad games, rough defensive outings, etc. And right at the tail end of the, you know, the 56 game bubble season, Mark Shifley for the first time as a Winnipeg Jet was benched on Hockey Night in Canada, huge deal by Paul Maurice. And I think that that was the first and only time I have ever publicly seen consequences for a lack of effort for one of those two players in terms of ice time. And I think that that may have been one of Paul Maurice's last substantial efforts into trying to get Shifley's defensive game to come around. Shifley played well for Winnipeg in the playoffs and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I think my, fem- my understanding of what happened in that offseason was that Paul Maurice spent a substantial part of the first few days after the season ended thinking that maybe his time had come in Winnipeg. So this idea that you shared, Matt, and sorry this is long-winded, but this idea you shared that um, that Paul Maurice you know, may have played a role in that, that the, the dressing room culture may have played a role in results as well, you know, I, I buy into that. And I think that the, I, I think that Paul Maurice probably recognized that Shifley and Wheeler weren't the guys anymore. Um, the things that he was trying wasn't working, especially in Shifley's case, to get effort, maximum effort out of this player. And the results weren't there on the ice for anybody else as well. So perhaps this idea that had come to him, maybe initially in the bubble and then um, at the end of last season, um, but he was convinced to come back by some player acquisitions and by management. I think by about fall, he realized that nothing had really truly changed and that it was time for a new voice in Winnipeg. He mentioned on the, on those interviews I, I talked about before that he feels that coaches have a shelf life and that you as a coach need to know there's a point in which you're going to need to go. These guys are going to need a new voice. Now in the Panthers case, there are new voices every two months. It feels like <laughs> that's not necessarily their choice. I mean, they'd still have Joel Quenville if he didn't commit, you know, heinous acts, but that being said, I think Maurice kind of understood at the end. He's been there for a long time. What, like nine, eight years, something like that, or close to it. So that's a long time in the league. And when you're not in your best season as a conference final, it's not like the John Cooper making four Stanley Cup finals. And you have to constantly reinvent yourself. And I also want to get into something else with Winnipeg, which is the player side of it. Because I look back at that 17-18 team on Money Puck. I think they had the fifth best expected gold percentage in the league. And two years later, they were dead last. And so there's player movement in that. There's Jacob Truba leaving. There's Dustin Bufflin leaving, of course. Uh, and how much of this, like Paul Maurice is a, is a coach, obviously, that you know can get a lot out of what he has. But if he doesn't have what he needs, there's obviously questions there. And there's a lot of questions about the team construction in Winnipeg. Um, I still remember, irrespective of what happened with the Blackhawks thing, Kevin Day off people wanting a change at GM. He's been the only GM the Jets have had. So how much of the slide at the end of his tenure has to do with the fact that that core group of players, the ones that came from Atlanta or the Shifleys of the world, that just that group was not the same group anymore. 
Yeah, another um, perfect question. These are at the heart of what has challenged the Winnipeg Jets over the last few years. And as much as, you know, Mark Scheifele still scored a lot, as much as I can talk about the defensive impact of a star player, you can still win if that's the only thing affecting the needle, if everything else is going well. And like you point out, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this a, a step at a time. You you've already realized I'm long-winded, but well, that's when, fine because as I say on Y Hockey, we're asking questions because we don't know the answers. We got to ask the people who know more than we do. And uh, with, with a new coach and one that has a track record in Winnipeg, there's a lot of evidence that we have to go through. So I don't care yeah. about long-winded answers. We're long-winded here too. <laughs> I appreciate that, Matt. And. Your, your point that in 2017-18, Winnipeg was top five in expected goals. You know, not everybody hangs their hat on that. I am an analytics uh, enthusiast. I, that's a, it's a lens through which I write. But I also think that if you watched those Winnipeg Jets and how stacked they were, where um, their center depth had Shifley, it had Paul Stastny closer to his prime. Uh, Brian Little was still, you know, a healthy 50 to 60 point center. Um, Adam Lowry was on the fourth line. They had Blake Wheeler at his prime, Nikolai Ehlers, Patrick Lineik, Kyle Connor, all scoring tons of points. Uh, Andrew Kopp joined Adam Lowry on that checking line. You had Dustin Bufflin on the blue line. Connor Hellebuck was, a, you know, on his way to a Vezina season in 2020. There were so many things going well for that for that team that then changed. And the following season, 2018, 2019, that's the year the St. Louis Blues won the cup. Winnipeg started like a house on fire. They halfway through the season, they were towards the top of the Western Conference. They were fighting for, uh, you know, the number one seed in the West. And then step by step, everything seemed to fall apart. And you can point to injuries. Nikolai Ehlers got hurt. Dustin Bufflin got hurt. There's also a string of games on a road trip that they took in, I think it was February, March of, of that year, where all of a sudden, even the players who were left, it looked like the wheels had felt fell completely off. And from that point forward through the rest of the season, all those five on five metrics, all of those things that Winnipeg had previously done so well uh, began to sink and sink and sink to the point where they were distinct underdogs to St. Louis heading into that first round series. And there are some people who think, well, Hey, it was just the injuries. And there are others in Winnipeg who believe that that was the beginning of a, of a real conflict between jets leaders and otherwise um, that ended up contributing to what happened next. Either way, the following season, Dustin Bufflin departs. Jacob Truba gets traded. Neil Piant comes back. Um, Tyler Myers signs elsewhere as unrestricted free agent. Same with Ben Sherratt. So you've got a completely retooled, revamped blue line. Winnipeg replaced those players, other than with Neil Piant coming back in trade, with waiver wire pickups. Lucas Spiza, Anthony Batetto, these end-of-the-roster players who have not maintained NHL careers since that time. And it's hard to believe that anybody could win an awful lot with the defense core that Winnipeg had in the post-Bufflin era. When it gets into coaching, Paul Maurice recognized the same. He recognized, you know, that the quality of blue line was so much worse than it used to be. So he changed the way Winnipeg played. They backed off the offensive blue line where they used to encourage their highly um, engaged, physical, fast defensemen to jump in at the offensive blue line and stuff breakouts early. They didn't want to get beat and give up rushes against. So they backed those defensemen way, way, way off at their own blue line. They didn't protect their zone as well as they used to. They didn't want to get beat in rush situations. They backed way, way, way off. And 
on one hand, you could argue that that's exactly the play for when your blue line has such little talent compared to previous seasons. On the other, they ended up giving up a tremendous amount of zone time and they were among the worst, you know, five on five metrics. Connor Hallibuck's Vezina winning season kept them in the playoff race, but it wasn't enough to overcome how bad the team was playing overall, uh, being stuck in its own zone like it was. Hellebuck sort of progressively came back down to earth. Uh, Winnipeg has improved its blue line, but hasn't improved its defensive play at too, 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 too much. And you get into this situation now, well, well, they should have had the horses this year, what happened, et cetera, et cetera. But I think by then the damage was done. Like you say, nine years in, um, you know, it is time for a new voice. Shelf lives do exist, uh, all of those sorts of things. And I think that just all kind of conspired to lead to it being the right time for Paul Maurice to move on, even though he had had some good ideas and some attempts to write what was going wrong. I just don't think he was able to do it all of the way at that stage of his career in Winnipeg. This is all a long-winded way of saying the problems in Winnipeg he faced are probably not issues he's going to face with, I don't know if you would say this, I might, the most talented roster he's ever had. Now, there's going to be changes, unfortunately, Sorry, today Anthony Duclair has an Achilles injury, so he might be out, and that sucks. But regardless of that, this is a team that scored a trillion goals last year. Whatever happened in the playoffs, they're insanely talented. And he's not going to have a blue line issue with talent. He's got Aaron Eckblad, Mackenzie Weger, Gus Forsling, plenty of good players out there that can play, I think, the ideal style that he wants. And so my asking of this is all to say how much of this is Paul Maurice and the bad results, because anytime you look at people talking about Maurice, they'll go to the bad results. And my question comes into how much of that is Maurice? How much of that is the dressing room culture? How much of that is, you know, acquisitions from the front office? And it's probably a combination of everything. But when you're looking at it from afar, you really don't know. And you have to, when you're now applying Maurice to a, a team that just, you know, blew through everybody in the regular season. How do you apply that? Because we don't often see a situation in which the team that won the president's trophy changes its coach. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, exactly. Right. It's just a, such a remarkable situation. You know, the situation with Quenville leading into Burnett leading into this situation. I mean, you couldn't repeat it. It just doesn't happen. And so, yeah, you're wondering, well, how will Paul Maurice apply to this roster? And I would agree with you, you know, that 2017, 18 Jets team, was close in that they were among the league's best throughout that season, especially after acquiring Paul Stastny and the way that they played hockey was such a complete version of the game, but they weren't the president's trophy winner. Uh, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't win as many games as Florida did this past season and the talent probably, you know, wasn't as diverse or as suited to the modern game. I think, you know, those defensemen that you just mentioned are, are all great uh, in you know, at defending, but also in transition, also contributing to offense. And uh, that's a really modern way to play. I think that's part of how you end up scoring more goals than everybody else by so much. Um, and so I think some of the things that held Paul Maurice back in Winnipeg in just his last couple of seasons are not likely to be issues in Florida. One of the things that really cost him was this commitment to a top six and bottom six way of thinking. Um, in Florida, I mean, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, because this isn't expertise, but you had... Uh, you know, a really deep top nine and you had guys move into and out of uh, out of the top six, depending on performance. I mean, Lundell and Marchment, emergences, all of those things. That well, that happened Sam's... against the Jets, funny enough. So, oh, really? Did it? <laughs> well, yeah, that happened. Man. That, that, that was a Jets game where they blew up. That's a... that's 
funny and I remember that now where they had that insane game and then they had the more insane game like a week later but yeah no that happened against the Jets funny enough oh wow yeah funny how, how stories and histories end up working well, but but yeah like that's that's what they would do and they would move everybody in and out that was a Quenville thing and then Brunette did it not as much but he did it plenty like that team again Duclair's not there but you think of and then by the end of course you had Claude Giroux in there and it's just it's not fair like you, an NHL team should in the cap era should not have that top nine and then they did but <laughs> yes. you know but I think that for me it goes to like well there's also the young players right like his relationship with Patrick Laine his relationships with guys like you know Billy Hainola which of course my co-host loved him as a player and he never really got the run I think that he deserved and when you're dealing with the, the Panthers now I mean the pressure's not on you in the same way because Florida we're going to get to that but you know you're dealing with you're going to have to deal with some young players because of the cap situation and you have young players like Lundell who are going to have a very big role obviously um, so I, I want to ask about that too like the Panthers aren't exactly you know betting in a bunch of you know prospects but they're not exactly they're not an old team so there's also that too, I think, which is, is one of the areas where there has been some criticism of Maurice. And I don't know, again, if that's a Jets thing and their development model or whether it was Maurice not trusting some of those younger players and the, the friction with Patrick Laine, because every Panthers fans had a fantasy of Laine coming to Florida. It's not going to happen, but you know, there, there are questions that that also brings up too. Oh, valid for sure. I, I think that like, I'll, I'll take that in two directions. One, just super quick. Um, if Paul Maurice plays the most veteran top nine and top four in Florida, he'll walk away with a great team, right? There, there's no way around it, given what that roster is. Um, and the second thing is, I wouldn't say that Maurice is absolutely not a youth players coach. There are many examples that you can point to that where youth were brought along slowly any of the sort of middling tweener, any reason to sort of doubt them. Yeah, they, they were slow played. At the same time, you know, Line's rookie and sophomore seasons where he was scoring all of the time uh, were under Maurice. Um, Kyle Connor was made to go down to the Manitoba Moose at the beginning of 2017-18. And yes, I think that was a mistake. But a month later, he came back up and was put on the first line almost immediately with Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley and went on to score and score and score. And now he's Winnipeg's top scorer by now. You can point to these really exceptional star cases where the impact is obvious and almost undeniable. And Paul Maurice has found ways to, to get a lot out of those players. It's kind of the everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth part where those young players don't get opportunities. And like we were just talking about a moment ago, without Bufflin, Winnipeg's defense was stitched together by shards of waiver wire. It was, it was absolutely a makeshift defense for a full season and then a little bit more than that afterwards as they were trying to figure things out. And that would have been a nice opportunity to give the Ville Hanalas a little bit longer leash um, you know, Sammy Niku was a popular young defenseman in Winnipeg for certain crowds as well. And there were players like those. Niku's obviously uh, in Montreal system now. Uh, Hainala still waivers exempt. He could be a moose again, depending on what Winnipeg does with that, which is a mistake. That's a, that's a miss on Maurice and everybody in Winnipeg's part, in my personal opinion. Um, there are also other young forwards. I mean, Liney, like you mentioned, in ends, up, um, ends up in Columbus. Jack Roslovic, who joined him, uh, you know, played on the fourth line for a long time, got a few third line minutes um, and certainly wasn't happy with that. He wanted out as well. There are those players, but you could also point to the top nine that was sort of 
or sort of this top six, bottom six thinking that Maurice had as well, Winnipeg's top six was star studded at the time. And I don't know that he is going to look and first of all, he will have learned and evolved because he is a, an intelligent thinker and he's good at taking best practices from around the league. But at the same time, I think you would look at Lundell's impact and you would think that's a player who's safe because he's delivering those results and it's not a tweener type of situation. I wouldn't think that you know he's so severe against the youth that players who've already established themselves would be on their way down. I don't think so either, but it's something that people will bring up. And it's something we have to think about because if Maurice is here for more than a year, which you would hope for, although it's the Panthers, you never know, they're going to have to be bringing in younger players at some point because the cap's going to become an issue as it sort of is now, but it's going to be more of an issue shortly. I want to get to this, this point you made on Shifley, which is interesting about how his defensive results just dried up. Like that's not going to happen with the Panthers captain, obviously, but uh, how do you think he's going to get the buy-in from that team because that's a proud group in there. They're obviously hugely pissed at how it ended. You know, no, but I didn't think they were going to beat Tampa, but I didn't think they were going to get swept. And in some cases outclassed. And the reason why the change was made was arguably because their playoff performances were so mediocre compared to the regular season. And it didn't seem that there were adjustments. So how does he get as in his own words, to add that extra level of compete to get to the Tampa Colorado level to add that into their game without sacrificing what made them good in the first place. And he said specifically in multiple places, he's going to do his best. He's adding, not taking away, you know, he doesn't have to reinvent the wheel here, but how is he going to go about doing that? Knowing him and knowing the things that he believes in from a coaching perspective, how's he going to do that? And how do you think he's going to do that? Well, here, you know, in, Previously, we, we focused a lot on the criticisms and the critiques, which makes sense because of the way he exited and because of Winnipeg's results in the last couple of seasons. This question you can sort of tee off on with a respect to Paul Maurice's number one strength, and that's communication. And it's the ability to communicate to people in a way that they genuinely feel heard and, and spoken to. Um, it's something that Winnipeg valued in him all the way through the process and into the end, even you know, you'd have the young players who weren't necessarily getting the minutes they wanted. You'd have most of the roster saying, you know what, he hasn't lost us. He hasn't lost the room. Um, you know, we'd skate through a brick wall for him was Blake Wheeler's famous quote. I I've also spoken to members of his, you know, current and former coaching staffs that have said the same, or pardon me, current would be Florida, but recent Winnipeg Jets coaching staffs um, that have said that they would play also through a wall for Paul Maurice, that he's the guy, he's the leader, he generates buy-in, um, he makes people feel heard. And I think that one of his biggest strengths is that he's not going to go into that room and demand things as if he's some sort of outsider with all of the answers. I think he's generally going, sorry, genuinely, sincerely going to consult with Florida's top players, its leadership group, and and have that be a two-way conversation where players feel heard, players contribute to their vision of what the team is going to look like, especially that leadership group. Um, and I think that that's an area where you're going to get a real, um, you know, I'm assuming that works smoothly and that they, they see eye to eye. I, I assume that that's where Florida is really, really going to benefit. Um, because like you say, I mean, 
is Alexander Barkov not one of the most perfectly structured players in terms of how he plays 200 feet? His vision of what it takes to win NHL hockey is going to be in line with the coaches. And his that that's going to be an easy sell, in my opinion. Um, the, the trick will be, and this is something that I think that Paul Maurice has shown some success with in past years, depending on the horses that he sort of had to work with. He's... I've never really seen him as at 100% the forefront cutting edge of innovation in the NHL. He's not going to be the first uh, coach to employ what they call a power kill, where you see those hyper-aggressive PKs trying to generate offense. He's, he wouldn't have been the first to employ uh, a whole system where defensemen play like fourth forwards, even though he did have Dustin Bufflin. So that, you know, I think I'll give credit to the player on that. There's no reigning in Dustin Bufflin, but one of the things that he's very good at is studying what works uh, across the league and trying to implement that as best as he can. And I think that a break like what he's just had and the quality of players like he's about to walk into um, is a real sweet spot for if he's done his homework over these last six months and he's willing to play that modern aggressive game, then his multiple, multiple, multiple years of coaching, his experience managing a bench, fighting for his matchups, uh, all of those sorts of things, you're going to find a little bit more success there. And I think that's where it's a really good fit. It's interesting because when I looked at this decision, I was, keep, I was pro-keeping Brunette. I didn't think that you should have messed with it, although I understood why people thought that the playoffs were something you needed to make change for. And I think that Bill Zito kind of said that, like, this, this group needs a veteran coach. Now, veteran coach is not the one most people would have wanted. How do you sell then the skeptics on Paul Maurice? Because there's a, a bunch of them that I've seen, and they're not going to necessarily be swayed. I said I'm skeptical, but I'm open to seeing what actually happens when the games are played. I wrote about that on, my, on the Substack, which you can go read. How do you sell the skeptics then? Because you would know him better than most people. And you know what the highs, the best looks like, even though the lows are what sticks in everyone's mind. How do you then sell those who are skeptical about Paul Maurice to say, this might actually work, even if the results you have seen aren't exactly the best results in the world. And he doesn't come across as, you know, that kind of coach that can, from the outside, that can elevate a team that has Stanley Cup ambitions immediately. Yeah, I think I would start. And first of all, I would... I'm on the cautiously optimistic side because I, I do find criticisms in, in his last few years of work in Winnipeg. But I think I would start by by validating the fears. I mean, um, Paul Maurice hasn't won a Stanley Cup. Uh, so that sort of bit that gives a lot of people peace of mind that says they can go all the way, that's not there with him. Um, he's had a few great regular seasons, but not a whole lot of them. And, and there is, you know, the genuine issue where when you mentioned, for example, well, in a, you know, a year or a year or two, when they need to bring young players in for cap efficiency, well, he's shown that with the superstars, he'll do that, but not necessarily with everybody. So there, you, you can point to the criticisms, and I think that they're very real. You can point to his overall coaching record, and oh, he's lost a lot of games. And then to try to find a realistic guess at how well things will actually go, I don't think that wins and losses are a good indicator of a coach's ability at all, because if you deep dive Paul Maurice's coaching record, he's had a goaltender above average for maybe two of his three of his seasons ever, you know, with Connor Hellebuck stealing games for the Winnipeg Jets, Maurice coached a strong goaltender, 
But then you go back to Carolina and he's got Cam Ward, who was only good in his rookie season. Maurice wasn't there for that. You had Arter Zerbe. You go into Toronto. They had goaltending issues there at the time. There's a lot of reasons and a lot of rosters that you would look at and you would say, okay, well, what Maurice got out of them was completely within the realm of expected. So I would throw out his record. I would throw out the lack of a, of a cup just on the account of, I don't know that he's had the horses a whole, whole lot of times despite his long tenure. So then I would look to those Winnipeg Jets in 2017, 18, and sort of since then. And what those teams did well was they were well prepared. They had a, an excellent structure to their game. They exploited their strengths by being extremely aggressive. Um, there was a, a sense that Winnipeg could be even more offensive than they were. That was a surprisingly good defensive team when you look at the metrics, um, uh, despite their offensive firepower. So he was able to take a lot of different personalities, a lot of different star quality players, and get a lot out of them. The, the critics will say, well, he didn't get enough because they lost to Vegas. I happen to think Marc-Andre Fleury played out of his mind. Winnipeg controlled most of those games. Would they have won the cup? Who knows? Um, all to say, I think he has a pretty good track record at getting as much as you'd expect out of a roster when that roster has had the horses, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less depending on the year. And so, no, I don't hold him like Barry Trotz, where I think that he would completely elevate a team and you'd be looking at Florida as, oh, my goodness, watch out for them. But I do think that he's capable. He has a lot of ideas. He has a great sense of generating buy-in. The roster's incredible. And I think that he'll be able to get people pulling on the same rope, especially starting fresh in that new market like he will have done. So I, I think it will be a good team with a, or a great team with a good coach next year. And how much do you think, as my Zoom call time is almost wrapping up, so I have to decide whether I'm going to do a separate one or not for editing purposes, but that's inside baseball. How much do you think then going from Winnipeg, you know, a market where the media is on you every single day, all the time to Florida, where no offense to David and George and Jameson, but that's really who you're talking to every day. And they're not the most intimidating people on the earth. You know, mm -hmm. I love those guys, but they're not the most intimidating people I've ever come across. How do you think that's going to affect him as a coach? Because that is a big difference from Winnipeg to Florida in terms of that aspect of, of coaching. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of the appeal. Um, you know, I think the president's trophy and the quality of roster is, you know, maybe 80% of the appeal, but somewhere in there, this idea that he's been in a pressure cooker for the last nine years. And I don't think Winnipeg is, we're not a, an extremely harsh or critical market, but we are a, the, mar the microscope is always on sort of market. And I think that that would take its toll. Previously, I mean, he had coached uh, Carolina, maybe not quite as much, but Toronto, to be sure, he has a lot of experience in, in that sort of situation. And there might be a, an, a sense in him that there'd be an opportunity to breathe a little bit more in Florida than, than otherwise, or than he had in Winnipeg. And one of his strengths as well is he is, you will already know this from having listened to him. He's such an articulate speaker. He's terrific with media. Even if he doesn't tell you the exact, here's why I'm doing this, or here are my exact plans, you know, he'll tell you something entertaining that gives you something to work with and criticize if you like, or run with if you like, whatever it is. He's phenomenal with media. So I think those guys that you just mentioned, yourself as an observer, everybody is going to, to enjoy his media presence quite a bit. And if he gets to relax, I mean, he's, he's a phenomenal quote and, and really quite respectful of, the, of people in media. I, I could say that speaking from firsthand experience as well. Well, he gets to go to the beach on an off day. I mean, that's nice. 
<laughs> yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. I'm not going to make a parks joke because in Broward, there aren't really all that many parks, but the beach, I can make a beach joke there. Uh, anyway, I think, I think we've covered most of it. Um, do you have any last thoughts on, on this? And because I think that this team, I mean, he's got good goaltending, not great goaltending. The Bobrovsky thing is what it is. But, like, I think he said that the regular season results, they could take a dip as long as they had the playoff elements to the game. Do you think he's going to be capable of doing that? I think so, with the caveat that it's a challenge. Like, I think that if I'm writing the storybook of Paul Maurice's coaching career, this is that challenge that arrives at just the right time. And if he's able to, to, you know, overcome it, by which I mean take Florida deep into the playoffs, like would be the expectation, that will be a really climactic, excellent moment in his career arc because he hasn't quite done that yet. Do I believe he's capable? I think if the things if things break right, yes. I think he'll probably look at you know goals against, and you you might see a little bit of shaving off of the the offense all the time sort of attitude that the reputation of Florida would be, um, whether that's true or not on the ice. So you might see that regular season dip, but I I would believe like I. I would set the over under if if I'm sitting here today at, at for Florida as the conference finals. Like I I don't think that that combination is set to lose in the second round because the the players are so good and I think that that Paul Maurice is is going to do a good enough job minimum to to have at least some success there. Well, that's what everyone's hoping because now the regular season as long as they don't miss the playoffs officially doesn't matter in the way it's mattered in every other season for the Panthers previous. Uh again, Murat, where can people find your work? Well, theathletic.com. Um, I write about the Winnipeg Jets primarily, and so that's given me a lot of, a lot of opportunities to write stories about Paul Maurice. Uh, and also, hold on, phenomenal human being in the community. Folks who are interested in having their, their team be ambassadors for the community, that's something that I got to add there as well, just reflecting on the various things that I've written about him at The Athletic. Yep, he, it seems like a, a good house have it to have and I hope that he's able to show that again. Thank you, Murat, for being here and uh, making us all smarter on Paul Maurice. We appreciate it. Hey, Matt, thank you so much.